Welcome back to the Palview Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here at Palview Christian Church in beautiful Central Oregon. Weather's getting a little nippy now. Um, brisk. Had to start lighting the fires in my house. and uh, So anyways, maybe you, uh, where you're listening, you are starting to put fires in the fireplace as well. I don't know. Hey, we're in uh, the book of Hebrews. This is week six of our study in the book of Hebrews. A lot of great stuff going on here. We're going to be in chapter 3, um, and today really is only going to be about one verse, and really mainly only one word, but it's a powerful word. It's a word, though, that I, I think that in, in many Christian circles we don't fully understand. I, I think it would benefit us uh, greatly to take just a one podcast time before we barrel ahead into chapter 3 uh, to, to make sure that we get what the New Testament what the New Testament authors meant when they used this particular word. It's there in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 3. So take your Bibles, go to Hebrews 3, and look at that first verse. I'll be reading from the uh, English Standard Version. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Well, there you go. Obviously, throughout our study, we're going to be definitely doing that, considering Jesus. Next week, we're going to see what it means for Jesus to be a high priest, an apostle that uh, the author mentions there. And, and I should remind you that uh, this is the purpose of the book, to encourage the Hebrew converts to uh, this new way, Christianity, uh, to not go back to Judaism 1.0, to the, to the law, to rely on that law to save them. The whole meta-message, if you will, of the letter is to show that Jesus is better Jesus is enough. Jesus is greater than. But when I read that first verse in, in study for chapter 3, I had to pause at the word holy. You know, that's kind of tucked away for many people as they read through. We, we learn to kind of glide over certain churchy words like that in our attempt to, to get to the meat of the passage, or so we think what the meat of the passage is. But uh, And we will be dealing with holiness throughout the study as well. You know, faith in Jesus apart from the law does not mean that we're not concerned about our holiness. In fact, faith should lead to a kind of conduct that is righteous and holy. Now, there's something out there in modern Christianity called cheap grace. Don't know if you've ever heard of that or not. The term is coined by a German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Maybe you've heard of him. He wrote a lot of books. One of his books, The Cost of Discipleship, um, and, by the way, you got to know, by all gospel accounts of Jesus' call on people's lives, that discipleship indeed does cost. He was talking about the cost of discipleship, this price that we pay in order to accept the gift of God's grace that was paid for by the blood of Jesus. See, God acted first. The grace was given to us without our merit. But, once it's offered to us, there is a price. But, back to the thought. Here's what Bonhoeffer says. He, he describes cheap grace like this. This will be a quote until I say end quote. Bonhoeffer says, The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance. And because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness, 
without repentance. It's grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross. It's grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace, on the other hand, is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the call of Jesus Christ, at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows. Such grace is costly, because it causes it calls us to follow. And it is grace, because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly, because it costs a man his life. And it is grace, because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. As we read, ye were bought with a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. In, in other words, we cannot allow ourselves to forget that though grace was given to us freely, it cost God this, the life of his son, right? And, and he did not come to pay the price for our sins so that we would continually sin, go, go on our merry way just without any intention of trying to clean up our act. And, uh, you know, we just are relying on God's grace to forgive us in the end. Yes, Jesus did pay the price to redeem us. But then, if he paid the price, then that means we're his. Which indicates that bearing the fruit of the Spirit is actually a part of what it means to be saved from the penalty of sin. Discipleship is the transformation that God desires for all of us to experience. Not merely conversion. Jesus did not tell us to go into all the world and make converts. He said to go and make disciples and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. I, I believe the Bible is clear that it's not merely a prayer that one prays and then that's it. There is certainly more to our faith than just fire insurance or a get out of hell free card in this game of life. So holiness is one of those concepts that we must struggle with. Because it's, it's one of those concepts that's either, like I said, kind of glanced over so that we can get to the meatier stuff of Scripture, things that are really wonderful to debate, like uh, once saved, always saved, uh, uh, God's election versus man's choice, all of that kind of stuff. Okay, so those are the interesting things. Sometimes we just kind of pass over holiness. Or, on the other end of that scale, holiness is misconstrued. And we begin to think of it as this form of self-righteousness, that we have to be good enough for God to continue loving us. But that self-righteousness, like any self-righteousness, takes away the power of the cross. It, it uh, mutes the suffering and and makes unnecessary the death of Jesus. If, if you could be holy and be good enough for God, then why did Jesus have to die? So there's this tension that the person of faith must find on our spiritual journey. You go too far one way and you're going to live in unrepentant sin, thinking that, hey, I'm good. I got my get out of hell free card. And so you have this false sense of security uh, and it doesn't matter how you live. But you go too far the other way and you declare that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. And it's still on you. 
to do everything that you can do to be made right with God. So in this first verse of Hebrews 3, the author reminds his audience, which, by the way, is not just the first century Hebrew Christians, but it's now you and I, since we're reading this letter. He's reminding us of the importance of our shared heavenly calling. And that calling is to be holy. Now, by the way, this is not the only place we read of the calling to be holy in the New Testament. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 and following. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, and here he quotes Leviticus eleven forty-five, Be holy, because I am holy. You see there, there's obedience involved. There's, there's a throwing off what we used to do. Um, we need to prepare our minds for action and to be self-controlled in order for us to, to actually receive the full grace given to us when Jesus Christ is revealed. Or Romans six twenty-two says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit that you reap leads to holiness. The result, then, is eternal life. Or Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, Paul says, You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Almost sounds like it's a journey, it's a day-to-day -day thing, right? To be made new, he says, in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Holiness is important. Holiness is important. And, and by the way, from time to time, holiness is going to pop up in our study in the letter to the Hebrews as well. So what does that mean, though, to be holy? Is, is it a call to some kind of higher consciousness or a, a call to achieve this perfect, sinless existence? Is that what it means to be holy? Is it a means by which we can elevate our status and look really good in front of people uh, while we put others down in a holier-than-thou attitude? What exactly does holiness mean? Well, again, it's, it's beautiful that in both the Hebrew and the Greek, it's got similar meanings. In the Hebrew, it's the word kadash, and it means set aside or set apart for a special purpose. In Greek, it's hagios which is not a Scottish dish made for made out of animal stomachs. That's uh, ha haggis. This is hagios. And, and it's, it's interesting because in the New Testament, when you read it in Greek, hagios at times is translated not as just holy, but as saints, right? In essence, if we're saved, if we have Jesus in our life, God calls us a saint, can, can you imagine being called a saint by none other than God himself? So, in Greek, it's the same thing as Hebrew, set apart. So keep this in mind, not set apart for any necessarily religious thing. That's kind of how we like to take it. Well, holiness must mean a religious thing. No, that's where people get it wrong, the, 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 wrong, the idea of what holiness is. So, let me explain. This is a great example. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments back in Exodus, one of those Ten Commandments was, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's uh, in verse 8 of Exodus 20. Now, some folks have argued that since the Sabbath is the seventh day, Saturday, then what we do on a Sunday morning here at Palview Christian Church is wrong 
because we're not keeping the Sabbath day holy because you're supposed to worship God on the Sabbath day. Other people argue that no, no, since the early church honored the Lord's day, which was Sunday, then we should worship God on Sunday, the day that Jesus is risen from the grave. And, and, and some even argue that uh, a long, long time ago, the church fathers or even the, the Catholic church changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. Well, here's the deal. I want to read you the fine print of Exodus 20 in regards to this command, the Sabbath and its holiness. Well, listen to specifically what God says and, and, and see if you can figure out what he doesn't say. Ready? He says this, uh, starting in verse 9. He says, Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or even the sojourner who is within your gates. And then the very next verse is the next commandment. That's all he says about the Sabbath. That's how he explains what he means by remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So let me ask you this. As you go back and read verses 9 through 11 of Exodus chapter 20, is there, is there any word at all about a command from God to worship him on that day? No, not at all. In fact, this is not about worship as much as it is about work or the lack of work, the, the day of rest. It, merely it says in this command is that the Sabbath should have, be a day that has been set apart. A day that is different from all other days. On all other days you work, but there's a one day that must be different. See, God knew that man needed to rest. He gave us a model by working on creation for six days and then resting the seventh. Not that he needed that rest, but he did it so that we would see that as a model. And so keeping the Sabbath holy did not mean to use Sabbath as your day of worship although that would have been convenient, I guess. You could make that argument, I suppose. But it really meant, uh, as God himself explained it there to Moses in Exodus chapter 20, it was meant to use the Sabbath as a day of rest. Holy did not necessarily mean sacred as much as it meant different. Let one day be different. The seventh day needs to be different. It needs to be set apart for a purpose. Now, for those who are called to by God to be holy as he is holy. This means, okay, there is a purpose for your life. That you would be different than the people who do not know God. God has set you apart. It, it means you are his. I, I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20 says. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? He says, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Okay? This is totally opposite of what we hear in our culture today. You know, in our culture, you hear, uh, well, hey, it's my life. I can do with it what I want to. It's my body. I can do whatever I, I, I want to with it. That's the mindset at the heart of the 60s free love movement. It's at the uh, core of the abortion debate. It's the impetus that, that, that drives drug abuse and other addictions. You know, people say, hey, listen, if I want to put something into my body, what does it matter to you? It's my body. Well, it's not. It's not if you've been bought with a price. It's not your body if you are God's. 
as disciples, we cannot go there because we are under new ownership. And as such, there's a call on our life to be different, to be holy. Holy means to be different. Let's go back to what Peter says in his first letter. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 reads, But as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Okay. Now, the NIV says, in all you do. So in reality, those terms, in your conduct or in all you do, tells me something. It tells me that holiness is about the way I live. That God actually cares about how I choose to live. And though I know that I will struggle still with my sinful nature, just as Paul did, the Holy Spirit has been given to me so that God's law can be written on my heart. In other words, as I follow him, I actually begin to see a life change, a different attitude, a desire to do what he wants me to do. And though I'll still mess up because I still struggle with my sinful nature, God has called me to be different as he is different. He is so different from what this world is like. Therefore, I must be different in how this world is like as well. God is so different. Listen to this. You know, the world was created. God was not. The world is finite. God is not. The world became corrupted. God cannot be. God is different than anything else we know. Fundamentally different. And this, then, is what it means to be holy. This is what he calls us to be, fundamentally different from the world's ways. So then there's actually a practical way of uh, sort of checking your level of holiness, believe it or not. It, see, if you can look at the characteristics of this world in its fallen state, or if you could be mindful of how you acted before you came to Jesus, the attitudes that you harbored in your heart before you were saved, well, then that's a great place to begin. For example, in his second letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul gives us a pretty powerful description of how the world operates and how it will operate as we get nearer and nearer to the end. 2 Timothy 3, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Does that sound familiar? You know, we're living in interesting times right now with Israel and the struggle that it's in today with the Palestinians, uh, with Hamas, which means uh, terror or no violence. It means violence, sorry. <clears throat> and, uh, you, know, you know, people are much more interested now in end times stuff. Uh, to their credit, you, you read what Paul says is going to happen towards the end, and boy, it's got to sound familiar to you. I can't think of a better commentary of our culture than what Paul outlines there in Second Timothy chapter 3. So to be holy, then, is to make a choice to live in an opposite way of what you read there in Second Timothy. In other words, it can read like this. In the last days, people will be lovers of self. But you, you be different. Think of others above yourself. They will be lovers of money. But you be different. Be willing to be generous 
to those in need. Remember that you cannot love God and money at the same time, and that God gives you resources so that you might use it to take care of yourself and others and to further his kingdom. Uh, they will be proud, arrogant, and swollen with conceit. But you, you be different. You take on the mantle of humility, just like Jesus did when he came to earth to serve rather than to be served. You can continue on and on and on. Whatever it says that the world is going to be like, we make an effort to say, I will be the opposite. When you and I are different, we are being holy in our attitudes and in our actions. Now, obviously, the only way we can truly be different, truly be different and holy in an unholy world, is not to rely on ourselves. we we got to be mindful of where God is leading us. And then we have to make the decision to keep in step with his spirit, to listen to the spirit when he brings conviction to our life, to uh, pay attention to the places that he is leading us and his guidance in our life. Now, please remember that God has not given us the task of holiness to accomplish on our own power. When Jesus was saying goodbye to the disciples for a while, he promised them to send them the Holy Spirit, who is going to be the come alongside of person, the, 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 the one helping them become more and more like Jesus. And in that same vein, as God calls you and I to be holy, it's, it's not that, that there's this requirement now that uh, we have to achieve the standard of perfection, especially a standard that truly only belongs to a sinless and perfect God. Rather, it's a call. It's an empowerment, by the way, to be different in our marriage, to be different in our family, to be different in our sexuality, to be different in our business, to be different in our workplace. Be different from those who love to put others down. Be different from those who love to gossip. Be different from those who think nothing of stabbing people in the back if it means advancement for themselves. Be different in the way that you use your speech as you are relating to other people, not to demean them or to break them down, but to encourage them and to build them up. There's a great scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 8, that reads, For you were once in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. So live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. I love that verse. Find out what pleases the Lord. Can't, can't you see that holiness is a process? It's not to, to know immediately everything you got to do. It's to have this search. To be part of your life is to seek and to find out. To, to get to know the character of God. To, to read about the stories from the Old Testament. To, to read the teachings of Jesus. To find out what God wants of his people. <laughs> what he commends and what he condemns. Be mindful of the wrong ways of the world, those who are living in darkness, where we used to live at one point. Find out what pleases the Lord and then desire to actually please him. Folks, that's a whole way better way, way more effective way in living a holy life than just trying to find out all the do's and don'ts. And in addition to that, so, so that, you know, holy, different. We have a God that's different. We are called to be different. And that's going to be a journey as we learn what it means to be different in all of those areas of our life. But in addition to God's Spirit helping us be different, uh, in, in um, 
in addition to our own mindset to say, I want to find out what pleases the Lord, and I'm going to be willing to uh, to begin to do those things that please God. In addition to that, I, I know that the very next word after holy in uh, Hebrews 3.1 has been a tremendous help for many, many people in living a holy life. The word is brothers. He says, therefore, holy brothers. you got to remember, we are not called to be holy even on our own. Yes, God's Spirit guides us and empowers us, but it's God's family that comes alongside of us and gives us accountability and support and, and love, no matter what we do, helping us be better, seeing the best in us at all times, especially when we're struggling. You know, we need a family. We can't do this on our own. God doesn't call people to be as spiritual orphans. We need each other, and that's why you know, we really stress life groups and discipleship here at uh, the church. What we're trying to do here with our new associate pastor, uh, Pastor Brian, what we want to build into people's lives with these authentic Christ-honoring relationships. Because God uses those to help us purge the crud that is much more worldly than godly. We're meant to do life together as a family, as a community, as people who are connected in a body, in a deep spiritual intimacy. So to be holy and to be brothers, I think once we begin to understand what those terms are all about, then it's going to be much clearer to see what God is calling us to do. And then finally, there's this amazing statement there in verse 1. Uh, consider Jesus, or in the NIV, it's fix your eyes, or sorry, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Consider Jesus, mull him over, meditate on him, fix your thoughts. That's, I think, probably my favorite translation. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Because it's Jesus that gave us that heavenly calling, that calling that was made possible by the cross on Calvary. It's the model of Jesus's life that we then strive to emulate. Any thought that leads us down the dark path is to be taken captive, we're told in the Bible. Take those captive to the mind of Jesus. See, when our mindset is focused on Jesus, his way of life, his teachings, then we will be on the path that will lead us to live a life of holiness. And in all this, I guess you would say that to be holy, we must dare to be different. Daring to be different means that we stay founded in God's family, that we submit to the Savior, we learn to walk in His ways. You know, one of the more interesting differences between the Old and the New Covenant is the fact that in Judaism 1.0, what I like to call the Old Testament, Hebrew people were part of Judaism, Judaism 1.0. They had an earthly calling. You, you realize that? You, you, you see what Abraham was promised. You see in the Mosaic Covenant, uh, a physical covenant with a concrete promise. God says, if you obey me, I will give you a land. I will give you descendants. I will give you physical blessings in that land. The first covenant, Judaism 1.0, is all about an earthly calling. But here in Hebrews 3.1, the Hebrew converts to Christianity are told by the author that in this new covenant, that was inaugurated in the Last Supper, Jesus established what I like to call Judaism 2.0, which is now revolving around a heavenly calling, based upon the law not written on stone tablets, but based on the law written on the hearts of every believer, Jew and Gentile alike. Now, there are promises of spiritual blessing, not just physical blessing. 
There are promises of spiritual blessing, as Paul writes in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, not material blessing, not physical blessing. The rewards that Jesus talked of were, are kept for us in a place where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break into steel. The disciples were not given a promised land, but a promised helper, the Holy Spirit. And the, the land that you and I look forward to, as we will see in, uh, later on in this book of Hebrews, the land that we look forward to is an eternal home, a spiritual home in heaven. And one day we will step into eternity and we will be finally fully like Jesus. But until that day, we're on a spiritual journey where as we keep in step with God's spirit, we find ourselves a little bit more like Jesus as we go along. And a little bit more like Jesus is a little bit less like the world. A little bit more like Jesus is a little bit more different. So therefore, a little bit more like Jesus each and every day is a little bit more holy. One day we're going to be made perfect. But until that day, God calls us and then empowers us to be holy to be different, to learn how to be controlled by his spirit, to learn how to follow Jesus a little closer each day. That's the calling on our life. All right. Well, thank you for joining us uh, this week. Um, and uh, we will uh, look forward to seeing you next uh, time as we continue on in chapter three, looking at how Jesus is actually greater than Moses and therefore also the law. I want to thank uh, Lisa Welling, my executive producer, and uh, Steve Pittman, my uh, technical guy. I want to thank you for uh, tuning in once again. Again, if you have any questions about our study in Hebrews, give me a, a, a ring or holler, throw me an email uh, to trey, T-R-E-Y dot P-B-C-C at Gmail, and I'll uh, talk with you next week. God bless.